I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. I've been thinking about current events and guns. You know, I kind of realized that there is a, and it's really a good analogy, there's really a war on us, a war on gun owners, a war on our rights, a war on guns. And this war is uh, fascinating to see because I have news for you. We are actually winning the war. Now, the war isn't won yet, that's for sure. But we are winning battle after battle, and it is really a fascinating time to be alive when talking about and thinking about gun rights. Because um, if you think about the struggle that we've had as gun owners through the years, and you know, I've been practicing gun law for over 35 years. And when I started, uh, we didn't have any kind of Second Amendment case law that we could use. We were always the most unbelievable of underdogs. And it was, granted, a war going on there, but it didn't have the same intensity because as we fought hard for our rights, the antis ended up getting major billionaires supporting their causes and setting up all kinds of well-funded left-wing anti-gun gun groups and pursuing strategies and getting basically the Democrats for the most part to make this issue a part of their platform and selling them on pushing gun laws and the seizing of our gun rights and the destruction of us and our gun rights as good politics for them. And so we've been fighting this battle and it really is a war as, as a multitude of battles on a multitude of fronts. And I realize that <clears throat> what my position is here is yes, I'm fighting these gun laws. I'm on front lines many times fighting the gun laws and defending law-abiding citizens from being turned into criminals. Um, it's similar and is important, just like our sponsor, the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, has been there defending gun owners in New Jersey for years and years. Uh, you need to join the association. You need to protect yourself and be part of the movement and be part of these forces that are fighting on your side. But I realize that through this battle, and as we're making these progress, it's actually through the war of multiple, multiple battles, that what I primarily try to do is make sure that as we fight and win these battles, that you, the listener, do not become a casualty in the war. We're going to win this war. We're winning it battle by battle now. We're going to win it. But in the process of fighting to win, I want to see as few of you get to become a casualty of the war on our Second Amendment rights. And so what Gun Lawyer is really about is helping you not to become a casualty 
in the war on our rights. And in fact, though, to be able to protect yourself and survive this so that when we have our ultimate victory, you're there to celebrate it and exercise your rights like never before, and therefore have them preserved for future generations. And that's really what wars do, isn't it? Especially when you win them, you're preserving that way of life, that culture, that freedom, and those liberties for yourself and future generations. It's really what we're in. So if you look at <clears throat> what the state of the war is now on our rights, you see that we had a tremendous victory with the Bruin decision, and actually a trifecta of victories from Heller to MacDonald to Bruin, creating what has become our defense system, our iron dome, if you will, against our enemies. And in response to our iron dome being created of the Second Amendment and constitutional rights, our enemies have decided to launch mega amounts of missiles at us. Just launch rocket after rocket after rocket. Because after Bruin particularly, we've seen an enormous increase in anti-gun laws being passed, and yet, just like a great Patriot missile system, we keep knocking out their missiles, their rockets. They fire at us, and we blow them away. And we are blowing them away in such greater volume than we ever had. And that is something that makes me cheer. Because as I sit back and I see gun laws falling, case law, courts deciding our way, and as we're fighting, gaining ground, more ground, just like in a war, it is incredibly encouraging. In a very weird way, but true, these are glorious times. They're glorious times because we're fighting a battle after battle that is so worth it. And what's really funny is, if you think about the anti-gun strategy, they're fools. They really are fools. Because there are multiple launches of law after law that they're passing like petulant children. Like just, you know, cannot wrap their mind around and accept that, yes, we have these rights. And we have the right to defend ourselves. We have a right to carry. We have a right to have a firearm. We have these rights. They can't stand it. And their response is bad gun law after bad gun law after bad gun law launching. And what do we do? We fight back. And we get court victory after court victory in the fight. And you know what's really funny is that each one of these issues, as we get the case law built, and we have ultimately... A conservative Supreme Court now that will eventually get many of these issues. Our ability to build a impenetrable system for our rights through the Supreme Court is being handed to us by the aggressive war on our rights by the anti-gunners. 
So it's ironic as well because their onslaught of magazine bands, assault weapon bands, pistol brace bands, of, of, of trying to gut concealed carry by enormous numbers of insane sensitive places and every strategy they can come up registration and multiple disqualifiers to just try to chip away at individuals that can have guns every one of them is making case law and we're winning battle after battle and all of this is heading eventually to a conservative supreme court so that we will end up with such a body of case law so affirming our rights that it's going to be great for future generations we're going to Thanks to the anti-gunners making all these moves now, we can establish strength to the Second Amendment like never before. And we're doing it now. So when you hear about all this stuff, these bad laws, these idiots, the crap that they pass, make sure you tell yourself, but wait a minute, there's actually a, a, a positive side to this. And the positive side is that it's now a chance the best chance to destroy their efforts, destroy those missiles launched at us, and to win this war for good. So I just wanted to share those thoughts with you, as well as some letters from great listeners that have some important questions that I want to share with you. Let's start here with a letter from Stephen. Stephen asks, regarding gun purchase, background check, and medical cannabis card. Evan, I obtained a medical cannabis card and I sent it back requesting to abandon the card and be removed from the program. I fear that if I purchase a firearm, I will not clear the background check. Or if I apply for a handgun permit, I will fail background check. Do you have any advice for me? And in fact, I do. As we're talking about winning battles, and you may have recalled, and we actually coined the phrase on this show, bang or bong, you can't have both. And that's because the marijuana law, federally, marijuana is still banned and still prohibited. And you know, these states that deal in marijuana are like the largest drug dealers in America against federal drug laws. It's just a fact. They're illegally selling marijuana contrary to federal law. Now the feds are turning the other, you know, turning the other uh, way, not looking at it, ignoring it, letting it take place. I understand that. But they didn't change the gun law portion of it. And because it's still banned federally and it's still asked on the federal form, it's still a disqualifier for those that are users of marijuana. And even though you have a medical card, or even though your state has legalized marijuana, it's still illegal. Now recently, there's been a uh, case where it was uh, uh, decided, uh, and a federal case that said marijuana is not a disqualifier, cannot be a disqualifier, and it's found the marijuana disqualification unconstitutional. Now, that case 
is not binding law on all of America, but it is yet another battle won in the war on our rights because it is eliminating yet another disqualifier stopping people from exercising their rights. But that case still has to travel through the uh, appellate courts and maybe even end up in the Supreme Court. So it can have universal application here in America. But it is a great battle won in the war. It is a demonstration of the power of our new Iron Dome of Heller, Alito, and Bruin. And the test for constitutionality is taking out a disqualifier like that is extremely encouraging. But at the moment, there's still the federal ban. And by giving up your cannabis card, you are relieving yourself of having a per se uh, admission to being a user of marijuana. And by sending it back and no longer being part of the program, you are no longer a user. Now, some folks suggest uh, waiting a year after surrendering it, uh, and if you've had a possession charge even, even though that's not necessarily means you're using, but again, waiting a year, that's the rule of thumb on being freed from the claim of a marijuana disqualifier. But in essence, you've given up the card and you're no longer a user, then you're no longer disqualified as a user. And so that's a good thing. But as we progress here, we're seeing that not only about those steps, but the disqualifier itself is already taken a hit in one battle. And hopefully we will see the end of that as a disqualifier in the United States. I mean, it's really pretty foolish when you think about it. When you have these states that are selling marijuana recreationally and medically all over the place, the feds aren't enforcing it on the states, even though it's directly a violation of the federal drug laws, and yet they will try to use it against gun owners themselves. It's just stupid. It's time, you know, let's keep it consistent, folks. You're going to ignore it, then it's time to remove it from the federal schedule and it's time to no longer make it a disqualifier. But politically and legislatively, that doesn't seem to want to get done. So the courts have stepped in, and it's looking better and better to have court-mandated solutions to it. Hey, when we come back, I have some other great letters in the Ask Evan for Gun Lawyer that I want to share with you. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. 
This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Evan Knappen, and thank you for being a listener and for subscribing to Gun Lawyer. We are one of the highest rated uh, gun podcasts that are out there, and uh, it's because of you, and I love speaking with you and filling you in on all kinds of great, important, useful information. Of course, helping to make this possible is our sponsor, the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, the NRA affiliate for New Jersey, and the Association of Rifle and Pistol Clubs does great work. They're currently involved in multiple litigations fighting for our gun rights, not the least of which is going after the Murphy Carry Killer Anti-Civil Rights Bill and trying to fight and challenge the magazine ban and the assault firearm ban and the licensing criteria that is part of what is the MU case, which is a case that my firm uh, uh, actually brought uh, challenging the uh, catch-all subjective clause for denying individuals their gun rights, the so-called not in the interest of public health, safety, and welfare. The association is also there on your behalf lobbying with a full-time lobbyist in Trenton, and you really need to be a member of the association. And by doing so, you can get the email alerts, be on top of the hottest news and the changes and the challenges, and to be a part of this side of gun rights in the war. You want to be a part in this war. You don't want to be a casualty, but you want to be a fighter and you want to be part of it. Join the association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, ANJRPC.org. I have a letter here from Bobby. Bobby says, regarding concealed carry and medical emergencies, a person with a PTC, you know, permit to carry a handgun, is carrying his firearm and is involved in a motor vehicle accident or experiences a medical emergency. He needs to be transported to the hospital in an ambulance. What should he do with his firearm? Probably not a good idea to arrive in the emergency room with a firearm strapped on your hip. What would happen then? He can't legally transfer possession to anyone else, spouse, co-worker, family member, etc. Should he report the situation to a police officer that responded to the emergency, ask him to secure his firearm or him? Would this lead to issues in getting it returned when he's discharged from the hospital? What do you recommend? Okay, we've had these cases where individuals are in accidents and actually knocked out unconscious and they come into the hospital and the hospital uncovers firearms on their person and the hospital themselves have protocols when this happens and they themselves will secure the firearm and have law enforcement get involved so if you're unconscious and the guns there the hospital you're not the first person to be taken to the hospital with a firearm on their person 
and they have protocols to deal with it. Now, if you are in fact conscious, but still needing to go there, then one of the things is, of course, to have the lockbox in your car. You can unload your firearm, <clears throat> secure it in the lockbox, and have that lockbox uh, secured, you know, around uh, the base of your seat, etc., so that it's locked in, secured, and out of view, and you, therefore you've been uh, prudent and have properly uh, secured your firearm. There's no reason if police are involved and it's emergency, you can tell the police and ask the police what to do, and they will probably take your firearm into possession. And yes, you'll have to get it back, and they might try to give you a hard time, but normally they don't, because the fact is you had an emergency, you're going to the hospital, you wanted it to be secured, you did the right thing, and it's time to get your property back. You didn't break the law in any way, and you were simply having a medical emergency. So it's not something that you need to really worry about in that regard and it's something that um, I've dealt with as an attorney on getting firearms returned for folks that have had uh, medical emergencies and had to be taken uh, to the hospital uh, if you know and especially if you're unconscious obviously you're not guilty of committing any kind of crime of going to a sensitive place like a hospital you didn't even know you're being taken there but if you do know and you do realize it, then you need to take the steps so that you don't end up having that problem. And the best would be to uh, turn it over to law enforcement or to properly uh, secure it. That you should always have the ability to do that in your vehicle. You shouldn't be traveling in a vehicle with a firearm and not be able to secure it in a uh, gun safe of type because you never know when you may need to leave your car. And it may be a situation where you cannot take your firearm with you. And particularly in New Jersey, the law makes a specific proviso for securing your unlocked, I mean, your unloaded firearm in a locked container in your vehicle. Now, John sends a letter and he says, hello, Evan, I'm a big fan of your podcast and it's amazing what you're doing for our 2A rights. I just received my PTC, which had some restrictions listed on the back of it. Judge Oxley from Monmouth County Superior Court issued me a permit to carry a handgun in, December, in January. And on my permit, a restriction was placed on it that says I must comply with the provisions of NJS 2C396G which places restrictions on how a firearm needs to be transported, as I understanding, essentially restricting carryability on my person in my personal vehicle, essentially making my CCW useless. My permit did come with a court with no with my permit did not come with a court order. No other restrictions and no checkbox see below where it says restrictions. And that's where it lists none or see below or see court order. And actually no box happened to be checked. But then it does say restricted from carry in any place prohibited by federal, state, or local law. And shall comply with the provisions of NGS 2C396G. As I understand it, all permits are being, all new permits are being issued by chief of police without such restrictions. So it seems my permit was processed in the middle of the rules and procedures change. 
In light of the new TROs, do I have to comply with these restrictions? Are there any way to get my permit reissued by my local PD? Thanks in advance. If this is something I need to schedule or pay, let me know, etc. Okay, let me explain what happened here. Under the old law where judges were involved, judges did judge things. And part of the judge things that judges do and that they were doing is they were doing anti-gun efforts on our ability to carry. And part of their anti-gun efforts were creating restrictions and such through their judicial power. Now, many of these restrictions are unconstitutional. They were not proper. And when the new law passed that statutized the restrictions that many judges were putting on and more, that law became subject to litigation in which certain portions have been temporarily restrained. And there's going to be more restraints by way of the preliminary injunction. I'm confident in seeing that. And yet here in the middle of this process, this uh, individual, John here, ended up unfortunately getting a judge-issued permit that puts this element into it that shouldn't be there because the vehicle carry requirement under the law has been restrained by a judge saying it's not essentially constitutional and that having to lock up your firearm while in your vehicle is uh, is restrained under that statute. But here with John, we have a court that has issued this license, and this has kind of a very confusing statement here. And the first part about, you know, not carrying in any restricted, prohibited place, federal, state, or local law, well, that's just a big duh, isn't it? I mean, the judge has to tell you you're restricted from carrying in places where you're prohibited from carrying? Uh, isn't that because you're prohibited from carrying? Uh, you know, wow. But no, he felt obliged to have to mention that to you. Why? I don't know, because the law is the law. Uh, he, he also uh, uh, didn't put on there uh, the entire criminal code for you to follow either, because it's the law. You don't have to list it. But there it is. And then adds in this provisions of 2C396G, which are restrictions on the mode of transport. Now, 396G exemptions go to the exemptions under 396, such as transport to the range, transport between your homes, if moving or going to the target range or going hunting. And then it references in those exemptions 396G, which is the mode of transport that does require your firearm to be unloaded and then either in a locked, and actually not locked, but actually in a closed and fastened container unloaded or in a, uh, a gun box or secure wrapper or locked in the trunk of your automobile. Now, the new law for vehicle carry that was enjoined mandated that it be in a locked box. Now, 396G doesn't ma mandate a locked box, but it does mandate that it be unloaded. It's completely screwed up to even put this on a uh, carry permit and just create enormous uh, confusion. And it's also got a lot of ambiguity going forward. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, there's an argument that could be made that if you're not within the provision of 396G when transporting, then you're in violation of the restriction, even though your license isn't marked restricted. And this license is court issued. So is the court issuing of a license a judicial act itself 
that could be construed as a court order because it is signed by a judge. And if it's a court order, you can't violate a court order because you can be held in contempt of the order. So this should not be there. It's wrong to be there. You're allowed to have it in your vehicle under the law because that's been enjoined. So really what needs to be done here to is either obey it so you don't get into trouble or you can go back to the court and ask the court to remove it and to conform its language with the current legal situation in federal court with the current new law that's been enjoined that allows vehicle carry and to ask that it be amended thusly by removing the language of comply with provisions of NGS 2C396G. The other thing that can be done is you can wait it out, and then when you apply to get your new permit, because the permits only last for two years, uh, when you apply in from your chief, chiefs have no authority to put restrictions. All the permits issued by chiefs are unrestricted, and it is uh, just great that judges no longer are the issuing authority for just this reason. Remember, the problem of justifiable need was created by the judges about over 50 years ago, where the judges created the impossible-to-achieve test. It's been judges that have stood in the way of our rights, not, in, not enhanced them, protected them like you would think they would do. And here's yet another example of rights being restricted, completely contrary to what our understanding is under Bruin and even what is expressed by way of the federal law, yet there it is. There it is, and uh, ignoring it could be at your peril. The other thing that could be a possibility would be to um, <clears throat> surrender, voluntarily surrender your carry license that you have now, and then reapply now through the chief. And then you would get a chief-issued license with no restrictions. That, too, is an option. I understand that none of it is... Uh, is ideal, but this is the transition period of getting judges out of the permit business. And unfortunately, it has to be dealt with by individuals as yourself in the war on our gun rights. And this is yet a another battle. But thanks for the letter, John, and I understand your frustration. I have another letter here regarding PTC. And again, what does it say? He's got restricted <coughs> license as well. And this one is um, regarding the restriction that says uh, about the qualification of his handgun. His handgun is listed as the one he qualified with. And the question is, can he only carry that or any handgun that he owns? And you know, the law right in 2C... 58.4, right in the carry law, right in the first paragraph says, one permit shall be good for all handguns. Says it flat out. And what do we have this other court doing? This court ignoring it and putting one gun on and creating a situation where it appears that you're only entitled to carry the one gun they place on the permit. It's not clear. You're taking a risk if you carry some other gun. Basically, what you need to do here, in my opinion, is play it safe. Carry the one gun that you're allowed to carry. When your permit expires after two years, you'll get a one issued by the chief of police. And under that, it will not have any restrictions.
and that is how to handle it. But you can see, folks, how judges are constantly screwing up uh, the system. They're going against our rights and creating uh, havoc in this way. And that is why the carry law, one of the greatest things about that horrible carry killer law, the anti-civil rights bill, is that it has removed judges from being issuing authorities. So in that regard, we have made significant progress. But until then, here's yet another victim of a judge uh, limiting rights without legal basis. And unfortunately, this is the current situation and uh, the solutions are how I've uh, outlined them. So folks, want to uh, remind you that uh, this fight is continuing. The war is continuing. It is critical that we uh, understand where we are now. I don't want to see any of you ever become a casualty, but take heart and know that we're winning battle after battle and that the future has never looked so good for our Second Amendment rights. Please join ANJRPC. Please make sure you belong and that you're part of this fight and can stay informed as to the latest issues. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. And boy, I wish the judges would get that through their heads. Till next time. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.